God is doing a new thing. It's the difference between us being at the center and God being at the center. It's the difference between burnout and thriving. It's the difference between you shopping for all the ingredients necessary for a huge Thanksgiving meal versus a sumptuous meal prepared for you, delivered to your door. For us friends, faith is freedom, period. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Hi friends, welcome to Four People, a conversation on four faith, a weekly devotional from Bishop Rob Wright. I am your producer, Easton Davis, and today's episode is Bishop Wright's sermon at the 116th Annual Council of the Diocese of Atlanta. In the name of God, creator, companion, and collaborator. Amen. Well, good afternoon. From the Old Testament lesson today, we hear, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Do not remember the former things, because now I am doing a new thing. Can't you see it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Think with me just a little while from this topic, attuned to the moment, attuned to the moment. Life is made up of 1,440 minutes in a day, which is, to those of you who are quick with math, 525,600 minutes in a year. Multiply that number times the average length of human life and you realize, give or take a bit, life is made up of 40,050,720 minutes. <laughs> give or take. <laughs> Dr. Benjamin E. Mays said this about minutes. He said, I've only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I will suffer if I lose it, give an account of it if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. The followers of Jesus over the last 2,000 years have made progress by doing something unusual with our allotted minutes. We make our way with God by remembering forward and hoping backwards. The logic is simple. If God did it then, God can do it again. Say amen. amen. If God can work through flawed people like our ancestors in their time, then God can work through our fears, stubbornness, and inattention in this moment. Have I got that much right? Amen. So to each generation, the invitation goes out not to simply kill time or consume moments, but to attune ourselves to what God is doing in the moment. And then 
join God with all that we have and all that we are. That's what the prophet Isaiah is talking about today. His audience is well acquainted with disorientation, decline, and dislocation, even despair, and for about 75 years. That's 39,420,000 minutes, <laughs> if you're counting. They have been hunkered down so long that now they find themselves in a sort of benign captivity with dull alertness and even spiritual lethargy. So, where does Isaiah start? He starts by reminding them who they are and whose they are. He speaks for God here. I created you, redeemed you, gave you my name. You are precious, honorable, and I have loved you and I do love you. You, you are my witnesses. The love letter continues. I made a way for you in the sea, and I gave you the victory over the chariots of the enemy. You are in my loving hands, and there's nothing anybody can do about that. I'm sure Isaiah would say to us here in this threshold moment for our nation, our church, and our world that the first step in being attuned to God's new thing is to reconnect with God's last thing. At the center, I believe, of each of us, there is a coffee table. <laughs> and on that coffee table that's at the center of us, there is a spiritual photo album. It's that place where we keep the record of our God moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? Amen. Those fleeting instances where we knew that we knew that we knew, if only for a minute. And in that place, it's more than an internal museum exhibit. It's that place where we remember God's saving mercies, provision, patience, and yes, even gentle correction. That place where we store up just a little bit of heaven to use, especially when we're faced with a whole lot of hell. That is also true for every worshiping community and ministry represented here today. I wonder what is in your community's spiritual photo album. One of the best parts of my 10 years with you has been to listen to you tell me the stories of how you came to be as congregations and ministries. Those times when your community was at a threshold moment, but you believed God and stepped out on faith and joined God in starting a ministry, a church, a preschool, or even a school, or added space to serve neighbor and welcome people home to the Episcopal Church. How you weren't exactly sure what the future held but had enough faith in your community to join God despite the uncertainty. This, Isaiah is saying, is how we face disruption and even disappointment right now. This is how we tune ourselves to God's moment right now. This is how we find our lift when so many of us are down. We remember God and God's saving deeds. We recite them. 
We find ways to incorporate it, our community's call story in our Sunday liturgies, our celebrations, and our program life in our community. And in so doing, we refresh ourselves for the continuing journey. Can I confess something to you today? Say yes. yes. Good. I, I wish some days that I were a Methodist or a Catholic bishop. Well, where's my wife? Not a Catholic bishop, but <laughs> at least a Methodist bishop. And that I had the power to mandate things. Because if I had that awesome power, I would lengthen the season of Advent. And I would tell you to go back to your archives and the minutes of your past meetings and listen for how God was doing a new thing and how you were attuned to those moments. I would mandate that you change the rhythm of your Sunday morning prayers to start off with thanksgiving and adoration and praise before you prayed for those in trouble or crisis of any kind. But since I'm a bishop in the Episcopal Church, <laughs> then let me simply invite you and strongly urge you <laughs> to experiment with those suggestions and practices, or make them better in your place if you want to be better attuned to God's moment right now. Isaiah's folks had been in Babylon so long that they started to forget their uniqueness, started to blend in with everybody else, started to talk just like everybody else about how the markets will limit them and how the politics will limit them. And I can see them repeating their anxieties to one another in their beautiful Babylonian temples erected to dead gods who have no power whatsoever to intervene in human history. And when I listen to that, I hear Isaiah interrupt their sad litanies with that faithful question that you and I are privileged, privileged to be faithful stewards of. When we talk, we say, I know what the financial markets say, and I know what the news says about this moment. Still, our question remains, what is God up to in this moment? That question keeps us attuned to God in the moment. Just as soon as Isaiah gets warmed up, though, he switches gears. Did you see it in the lesson? He tells them about the history, the history of God's saving deeds, and then he says this, don't remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. As a father of young kids, that's like, wait, what? <laughs> that sounds like bait and switch. It sounds like remember, don't remember. But it's not, actually. God knows that left to our own devices, we would choose nostalgia over new substance every time. And so God recenters us by saying, behold, pay attention. Hey, y'all, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you see it? Which paraphrase reads something like, 
Remember, sure, go ahead. But remember well enough that your remembering turns into expectation. I just told you something. When I first started talking about this verse, the idea was met with some resistance. You know, Episcopalians are quick to grab the pearls. <laughs> oh, dear Bishop. Oh, oh I see. Uh huh. And, and folks said to me, Bishop, I can't do a new thing. I'm absolutely poop. Not one more new thing. That's what they said to me. And I found it interesting that what they heard was that they needed to do a new thing. Rather than what the text actually says, which is God is doing a new thing. That difference is critical. It's the difference between us being at the center and God being at the center. It's the difference between burnout and thriving. It's the difference between you shopping for all the ingredients necessary for a huge Thanksgiving meal, cooking and serving the meal, versus a sumptuous meal prepared for you, delivered to your door. The only request in the text from God here is that you and I go to the front porch and bring the meal in and enjoy it. For us, friends, faith is freedom, period. Faith is freedom. Faith is the way that we talk about the future. Haven't you noticed at the end of the Nicene Creed, what do we say? We say, look for the life of the world to come. Breaking news, that ain't just about heaven. In our great thanksgiving, what do we say? We say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will. Yeah. Based on what we recite weekly, you would think that the church would be the most agile organization in the world. Always alert, ready to surf the spirit always alert and responsive, which is different than being trendy. But sadly, we're not. And so it needs to be said, though God has invited us to join God in God's new thing, God's new thing will not be limited by the unwillingness of the church to join God. The adaptive challenge for the church continues to be to actually make Jesus the Lord of the organization that bears his name. God knows the malaise so many of us feel right now. God sees our hard work and God hears our prayers. God feels our unexpressed grief and sees our fears and our limits as well. And God also knows the danger of complacency. So God says, I know how to infuse my people with energy. I will re-invite them to join me in the only enterprise that is truly life-giving top to bottom, and that is faithful living. Author Zora Neale Hurston put it this way, love makes the soul crawl out of its hiding place. 
That's what we're talking about today. That is how God helps us find new energy and break free of the numbness of modern life that is the new threat to freedom. We demonstrate that we actually know God when we expect God to show up in the ever-changing events of history. And so, we say, yep, those are the election results. Now how do I bear witness to Jesus Christ? And we say, because of God's relentless love, we say, yep, that's what the spreadsheet says. Now, show me, God, how I can please you in those circumstances. Alertness to the Spirit's movements gives birth to expectation, which gives birth to imagination, which gives birth to real-world adaptation and faithful living, which, incidentally, pleases God. Another Old Testament prophet, Joel, looked around at the difficult days and circumstances his community was facing and said, because I know God, I know that right now all this hell we're catching is the perfect precondition for God to do God's best work. So I know that youngsters will see visions and senior citizens, he says, will dream dreams. Because you know God in Macon and in Hartwell, in Carrollton and in Milledgeville and all over middle and north Georgia, I have a question for you. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? Because you love and serve a living God, what are you expecting? Only institutional survival? That's it? Dream bigger. Dream bigger. Dream bigger. God is doing a new thing. Friends, behold, I do a new thing evokes an alternative community, a community within a community that knows that it knows that it knows that it's about different things and different ways and yearns for and recognizes, y'all, we got to change some to join God in God's future. And I'm not talking just about the form of worship or what songs or instruments we use in worship. I'm talking about we got to change. St. Paul says this at the end of that beautiful chapter about love, we got to grow up. The world is hurting, and it needs the people who say they know something about a divine love to apply some to the hate and the hurt. That's what Jesus is doing in this gospel lesson. He's energizing his base. He's mobilizing the partners of God, you and I, with a simple phrase, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything that is necessary. Everything that is necessary. Not everything you want. Not everything you like. Not everything that's convenient for you. Not everything that your mom and them had. Not everything in your language, not everybody who looks just like you, not everybody who just went to school just like you, will be added. 
I was at a threshold moment. It's not even in my script. I was at a threshold moment in my own life. I'll be vulnerable with you. At my, my own life where I decided I was going to actually try to believe God and follow Jesus. I had just joined an Episcopal church, and, and this was the text. And one day I got to an intersection, just me, me and God, walking down the street in Washington, D.C. And it felt like such a honeymoon time. I felt joy, joy in our, the way that we worship, joy in our fellowship, joy in all of that, joy in service. I felt it all. And then this text landed on me. And it was almost like God, in God's gentle whisper, said, do you believe me? It changed my course. In some ways, that day, put me here dressed up like this. <laughs> so that's what's got to change, is that you and I somehow go deeper but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And trust God that God is a miracle worker and a way maker, a light in the darkness. You are. That is who you are, God. That's how we stay attuned to all the moments that make up life, by remembering forward and hoping backwards. By understanding that the grace of God that by the grace of God we are forever established in a narrative with God and with each other that gives life meaning and power and the journey, the momentum to manage the millions of minutes of life. Jesus' way forward for us, his new thing is to join him. Join him, that's all, just join him, of your own volition. Join him in his victory of faith over fear. Join him in his victory of generosity over selfishness. Join him in his victory of love over indifference. The invitation from God through the heart of Isaiah and the lips of Jesus is to a daring, counter-cognitive, new openness to the future based simply on who God has been, who God is, and who God promises to be. I've only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I will suffer for sure if I lose it. Give an account one day, I'm sure this, if I abuse it. Just a tiny little, little minute but this one thing I do know, there's a whole eternity in it. Behold, I do a new thing. Can't you see it? I make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Amen. Friends, thank you for listening to Four People. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Share this episode with a friend, and we'll be back with you next week. 